Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Father, I thank you for this evening, and I thank you for my children who just prayed. I'm just going to pray one more time. Holy Spirit, we need you, the Spirit of truth, the Helper. Jesus, you said it's better that I go, because when I go, I'm going to send you the Helper, and he will guide you into all truth. And so, Holy Spirit, guide us into the truth of God and His Word tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Luke chapter 2, I'm, I'm titling this message, Anna the Intercessor. Anna the Intercessor. And I shared a few weeks ago on Epaphras the Intercessor. And he's, you know, like the male version of, you know, prayer warrior, you know, everybody's kind of familiar, at least those who are familiar with Anna, hear about Anna a lot, but they haven't heard of Epaphras. And so I wanted to share both the, the male and the female equivalent, although the truths of their life apply to male or female. And so, you know, as I go through and talk about Anna, of course, this could apply to any man and if you go through the life of Epaphras it could ap- apply to any female so it, you know the truth of the word is applicable to anybody first thing I'm going to do is read through these three verses Luke 2 36 to 38 and my goal is is really tonight is just to highlight this passage and to reintroduce Anna I usually share at least once a year on Anna, some angle on her life. I I think her life is that important. Usually once or twice a year. I mean, many times in my messages, you'll hear me mention Anna. But usually once a year, I just devote the whole night to talking about her. And you'll see why as I go through the, the scriptures tonight. But really, I just want to introduce or reintroduce her. Maybe you've heard me share some messages about her. If not, it, it, you know, it's, a, it's an introduction. But if you've heard it a number of times, just uh, there will be some fresh insight that I feel the Lord has laid on my heart. And so let's just start here with the text. Luke 2, verse 36. Again, this is Luke's gospel. And what we're... What we're reading here in these first couple chapters is Luke is, he's developing this narrative of how Jesus was born and the events surrounding the birth of Christ. And so he, you know, he starts and we see Mary and we see Joseph and we see, you know, how does Mary get pregnant and, you know, it's a miracle. And then, so we, we are in this story of the birth of Christ and we see a couple prominent figures show up in Luke's gospel only. 
You know, the different Gospels have all kinds of different information. Some Gospels will have all the stories. Some of the Gospels have only one story. And so it's just, it's important to be familiar with all four. Luke zeroes in on this woman named Anna. In verse 36, he says, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart, get this, who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Wow. It's hard to read that and not just go, what? Did not depart from the temple, served God with fastings and prayers night and day. We'll do one more verse. And coming in that instant, I'll make sense of this here in a moment. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Three very powerful verses. And now we're going to spend, you know, the next 20, 25 minutes, however much time I have here, developing this story of Anna. And then I want to share a little bit, uh, apply it to your story. What, one of the things I love to do when I teach Scripture is humanize the text. Because we sometimes approach the Bible and we think, well, yeah, those were Bible people. They were super spiritual and they were specially chosen. And of course, God did great things through them. It's so important to remember that these are people just like you and me. Anna was a person just like us who had things happen to her just like we do and had to make decisions and respond to things just like we do. And so Luke says, Luke was just struck by Anna. Of course, no one else mentions her. Luke was struck by her. He says, there's this one Anna. And I think maybe he knew three or four or five Annas. I don't know. But he says, there's this one Anna that really sticks out to me. I'm going to put her in the Bible. I mean, of course, he was, you know, he thought a little different. But in, in my gospel, I'm going to write about this woman, Anna. There's this one Anna. And the reason she stood out to Luke, you know, maybe he knew a few Annas. It was, you know, not too un, uh, unfamiliar of a name. There's, there's no other Anna that we know of in the Bible that was mentioned. But maybe he knew a couple. But he writes this one and he says, this Anna, I want to highlight to you. And maybe maybe a lot knew her because she was a prophetess. So Luke says there's this Anna lady and she has a prophetic gifting on her life. And I just want to stop right there. A prophetess is someone who has a a heightened sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And really, anybody can enter into that. But not everybody takes the time like an Anna and really prays and says, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know your voice. I want, to, I want to have a relationship with you. It says right away there's this one particular Anna, she's a prophetess. 
Now, it's not because someone came to her and says, we're going to just give you a title, we like you. No, there was a, there was a unique gifting on her life. And, and so that's important. She's gifted, she's anointed, she's prophetic, so she hears from God. She's probably known in the community as a prophetic person, somewhat like, you know, Ken and Holly will do prophetic ministry once a month. That's coming up next week, by the way. And you've maybe heard of people that hear from the Lord and, you know, stand in front of churches and say, hey, you in the corner, the Lord says this, and it's just dead accurate. You know, there are those types of people. She was like that. And so that's important, I believe, because of the next few details we're going to learn about. She's a prophetess, and then Luke says she's also a daughter. You know, in the charismatic world, we're like, prophetess, wow, I like that lady. Luke says, but also remember, she's a regular person. She is someone's girl. And this is, there's so many details we overlook in the Bible, and I just, I want us to grasp that she's a prophetess, and she's Faniel's daughter. And I want to I I just throw this out there as we go. No matter what your gifting is, because we all have different giftings, you're not ultimately worth something to God because you're gifted or what you do in ministry or how anointed you are. You're worthy to God because you're his daughter or you're his son. And, and never, never lose that, never lose sight of that. You are first and foremost a daughter or a son of your heavenly father and you might be the greatest prophetess in the land or the greatest prophet in the land and that's something we are to do faithfully but ultimately you're never just a prophetess you're never just an intercessor or a pastor ultimately you're a son or a daughter that your father loves and you know you've you've met my little girl uh, glory she's four now, here's the thing. If Glory were to grow up and be the greatest prophetess in the whole world, I would still be proud of her whether she was that or not. You know, she could be the greatest prophet in the land. She could be the most powerful prophetess. I'm going to like her just because she's my girl. I'm not going to start liking her when she's anointed one day or, you know, when she leads a company or whatever. She's my girl. That's how I see her. I mean, it, it's cool if she's successful, and I hope for that for her, but ultimately she's daddy's girl. I love her just because that's who she is. And so I think there's an insight right away. She's a prophetess. She's a daughter. And so you may be in seasons where you're prominently used by God, and there may be seasons where you're not. Or there may be you know all kinds of ways that God uses you, and then it not so much... No matter what, just always remember, you're, you're not worth something to God when you're doing ministry or powerfully anointed or this or that. You're worth something because you're his child. Never lose sight of that. That will put security in your spirit. He's not waiting for you to be the world's greatest prophet before he likes you. He already likes you. He already loves you. That's settled. If he so chooses to anoint you, be faithful in that. And you being faithful is how you show him, hey, thank you. I'm going to be faithful to steward that and bless people. But you're never going to be 
more valuable just because you have some sort of anointing on your life. And there are so many giftings and anointings out there. Just be faithful with what you have. Most Christians will touch the ones and the twos, not the whole stadiums. So just understand, you could have a prophetic gift or a teaching gift or a writing gift. You touching ones and twos is really significant. In fact, I I don't want to get too far off my message. The fact is, if every single Christian on earth, which is roughly a billion plus, if each one of those reached one person, we got two billion. (laughs) And then if those reached another person, we got four billion. I mean, sometimes we try to save the whole world, and the Lord's like, "Just, just reach one or two. And so we're grateful for the people that are filling stadiums, but we're also grateful for those that are touching ones, twos, and threes. That's, that's, there's so many significant things in the story. So she's a prophetess. She's a daughter. Luke says, I want you to know that. She's someone's kid. She's someone's girl. She's a human being. She's real. And then he throws in, she's of the tribe of Asher, so we know she's a Jewish woman. And then it says the funniest part, the NIV actually says she's really old. I just think there's so much humor in the Bible. In, the, in this translation, it says she has a, she's of great age. The NIV just says she's real old. <laughs> I, think, I think she probably is in heaven right now. Like, Lord, did you have to put that in there? So here's where the story begins to really heat up. It says she was, she lived with a husband for seven years. So prophetess, daughter, Jewish woman, really old now. She was married. We know the details. She got married when she was very young. And that marriage lasted seven years and then she was widowed. And so, you know, in this culture, the the young women typically get uh, married very young. And so the likelihood is she was a teenager when she gets married. I mean, she could have been a young teenager. It just depends on how their family went about that. But typically very young, uh, as young as 13, 14 years old, actually. And so she being widowed seven years after marriage, she's in her early 20s. Whole life's ahead of her. So imagine where you're at right now. You know, think of, think of uh, you know, a young maybe 20, 21, 22, the oldest, 25, really. The greatest tragedy you can imagine, your husband dies. Oh, you know, like what? I mean, there's just no words. So she's prophetic. She's uh, known to some degree. Luke knows her, puts her in the gospel. She's married. Life's going well. Tragedy, boom. Tragedy of the most gut-wrenching kind you know girls grow up longing to be married her dream is fulfilled she probably has this you know amazing wedding and things are going well they're 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 figuring out marriage finally they're seven years in and we don't know why or how but her husband dies she's a widow in her early 20s this is tragic on many levels because in this Culture, you know, 2,000 years ago, there, there's no, you know, there's no social security. There, there's no, uh, there, it's just so different. Getting married in this culture is you're financially stable. You know, your husband's working. And it's just so much different. So she's so vulnerable. 
She's vulnerable because of the tragedy. She's vulnerable economically. There's so much going on in Anna in her early 20s. No one should have to go through this, but she has to go through this. So right when we get to know this young woman's story, we're just, you're just in pain reading it. You just put yourself in the story and you go, ah. The next thing we find out, it's kind of like Jesus. We learn a little bit about his birth. We see the thing where he like ran away from his parents and then he's 30. <laughs> There's just like almost nothing for 30 years. So with Anna, we see this tragic event in her early 20s. Then she's 84. What? What happened? Now, again, I've said this a few times in the last number of weeks. In the Greek, it could mean, and I've read scholarly information on this, it could mean she was 84 or she had been a widow for 84 years. So that'd mean you'd have to add the years before that. So she's either 84 or she's like 104. Somewhere in that, it just is hard to... Again, I've, I've read... You know, teachers who, who study and teach Greek and write commentaries, not totally clear. She, she could be that, she could be 104 years old. I mean, she could, be, she could have been widowed at, uh, at 84 years of age, or she could have been a widow for the duration of 84 years, which would add 20. Here's the thing, though. Anna, of all the things that she could have done, at 20-some years of age, having gone through an unthinkable tragedy, we find out the next thing about her is she's been praying that entire time until she was either 84 or 104. We're not totally sure, but at least till she's 84. It says, She did not depart from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. So here's how I think it happened. Anna goes through this tragedy, loses her husband, and she's like, what am I going to do with my life? I need to go pray about this. Maybe a friend said, hey, why don't you just go spend a day in the temple? You know, maybe they'll let you kind of just sit in the corner or something. Uh, Herod's temple is a, you know, a massive structure, kind of like we would think of a cathedral. It's about the size of four football fields in a square. Massive, massive sacred area and so she's like maybe i'll just go pray about this again just trying to humanize the story so maybe she goes and she's like i'm just going to take a day or two just to pray about this something happens to anna when she's in the temple where she makes a decision i never want to leave the rest of my life and it makes you wonder what happened to her like what kind of encounter what was it but she, you know, she probably went to one of the priests and said, hey, can I have permission to, because the temple, it's not, you know, it's not like a, like this room. It's, it's incredibly huge and there's little living quarters all around it. Imagine a big square. There's a huge Holy of Holies contraption. There's basins all over. There's, uh, there's a woman's courtyard. There's a leper area. There's Gentile area. There's all these different parts to it so maybe there was just like a little side room where she's like hey you know brother so and so can i just stay here and something clicked she wanted to stay and i I think maybe you know maybe she did like the equivalent of a of a you know one month internship or something maybe she was like i'm just going to give this a month to try to get god to speak to me 
Something happens. We don't know what it is. We don't know how. But she's like, I want to do this my whole life. Something miraculous happened. So often when we experience tragedy or something happens that really is gut-wrenching, we tend to, are, we, we are confronted with what we really believe. And it's very intense. And some, that's the definitive point, they run away from God, and others run all the way into God. It's usually never neutral. And so we never know when hard things are going to touch our life, but they are almost always an opportunity. Which way are we going? Is it real? Are we going all the way in? Or are, we, are we out? And so I just love the example that Anna gives us is she is like, let me just pray about this because I kind of want to get remarried. I don't know if it's God's will. And she thought all the things we would think. I don't have any money. I'd like to be married. I had a dream of having kids one day. Something happens in the temple. We'll find out in heaven. And she says, you know what? I'm going to do this another month. And then another month became another year. And then another year became another day. And pretty soon, you know, she's 20. And then now she's 30. And now she's 40. And now she's 50. And she's like, well, I've done it for 30 years. Might as well just keep going. 60, 70, I mean, she is getting old. How much happens in this amount of time? How many kids do you see grow up? I mean, she was like this relic in the temple at this point in time. You know, I grew up Catholic, and I just have such love for Catholic Christians. I grew up, uh, went to Mass every Sunday, and my dad would take our whole family and in, within Catholicism, it's very normal to see intercessors. And, and in my world, I, I mean, they were the old ladies with their rosaries, and they'd sit in front of the candles, and there'd be Mary and Jesus and Joseph and 500 candles and about 10 chairs, and they'd just sit there all night. And as a kid, I would see that. i just think, what an unfortunate, what are they doing? And I just think the Lord had to have laughed so many times because I'd see these old ladies over there. By the way, it was always old ladies. There's something to, I don't know what this prayer connects with with women, especially as they get older. I I don't get it, but it's always an old lady rosary, and they just be there for hours. Can't tell you how many times I would see this in the little... There'd be a little uh, sanctuary off to the side, kind of private, and you just kind of walk by, and there'd be all those old ladies praying. Never had a clue what they were doing. And I would say this, we probably have more intercessors going to Catholic churches than evangelical churches on, on earth today. And I'm not saying everything they pray is, you know, I, I wouldn't, where I'm at today, I wouldn't say pray to Mary but there's a lot going on there that I don't think we fully appreciate as charismatics or evangelicals or Protestants or whatever non-Catholic denomination you might uh, uh, ascribe to. There's something that they carry. Anybody that can sit in a chair for hours and pray, I am interested in that now. And that, that so I, I'm telling you, growing up, I saw this fairly commonly. 
And I just have been moved by that. So Anna was one of those ladies, the kids would walk through the temple. Again, the temple is huge. I mean, you would just go just visit the temple just to see the temple because it was just so beautiful. And there'd be Anna in the corner. Who's that lady? I saw her when I was 12. Now I'm 16. Does she ever leave? No, she never leaves. What does she do? She just prays all day. Really? Yeah. I mean, so maybe she had kind of a somewhat of a following or a people knew about her, I would guess so. And this is very significant, what I'm about to say here. The Bible says what she did, it says that she served God with her fastings and prayers. Her being there, abstaining from lunch and praying, God says, that served me. Typically, when we think of serve God, we think go to the soup kitchen. Well, that's good. Or we think go do missions. That's critical. Or we think I'm going to be a preacher and serve God or a pastor. There's so many traditional roles. We cannot forget there is a ministry of intercession There is a ministry of, okay, guys, I'm not going to go out with you tonight. I mean, I love my friends, but tonight I'm going to skip dinner and I'll pray all night. That's not, uh, that, that, that's serving God. That moves things in the spirit that would not be moved if people didn't do that absolutely critical that we understand because some people are like, well, the Bible says we need to pray the Lord of the harvest. Send out workers, God. And I've been in a hundred, probably a thousand prayer meetings where we prayed that. And we're thinking an evangelist into the middle of the hardest country in the world. And God's thinking Anna's. Lord, I want labor. Okay, well, I want people who serve there, yes, out there, but I also need people who will do the labor and the work and the service of prayer because when people do that, the powers and principalities are removed so that the people doing gospel preaching actually have an open heaven to do their work in. Now, I believe God is going to begin to give the church greater understanding of what's happening spiritually in our communities, but there are real forces of evil that resist what the church is doing, and without prayer, they pretty much stay victorious. But when the church prays, those things tremble. Those things, I can't... When we pray, there's so many things that happen. Obviously, God gets involved. Angels get involved. So much happens. The, the spiritual atmosphere clears. And so just it's different. Anna was doing some heavy lifting. God says, I want everybody that's going to read the story to know. She wasn't like in rebellion, missing God. No, she was serving God. Now, we don't want to make it sound like Anna's the most spiritual person in the world. We all need to do what Anna does. No. What, what I want to do is make it clear this is a valid calling. Because a lot of people look at that and go, what a waste. God goes, oh, no, that's not a waste. You read the rest of that story. There was some serious business going on there. And so some are called to be pastors. Some are called to lead businesses. Some are called to be missionaries. Some are called to stay in a prayer room their entire life and pray and skip lunch and dinner. 
or however that works out for them. Now here's the thing. Because I've been sharing a couple weeks ago about this, I, this issue of irrelevancy. It's my opinion that people thought Anna was crazy. I think they loved her. They appreciated her. They're like, oh, Anna, wow, okay, keep going. But I think in their heart, most people were like, that is crazy. Who would do that? And we don't, you know, so many stories, if you just cut off the end of the story, it looks like, what a waste. You know, that was cool that you prayed your whole life, but what? But man, so often people who are so devoted, the last part of their life, it's like, oh, now I see what, what, what was going on there. Excuse me. So she's in the temple till she's 84 plus, Every day, praying, interceding, God, you know, we need a Messiah. We need you to move, send, you know, redeem Israel. You know, all the things she prayed. She had the Old Testament to go by. And quite frankly, I don't know what scrolls she's reading. So maybe, you know, she's reading a little bit of Genesis one day, a little bit of Isaiah. I, I don't fully know what she had access to. Obviously, printing presses weren't invented and all these things. So, But she just prays her whole life with like, you know, some sort of the Bible and no Holy Spirit yet. And I don't, I mean, what a miracle. I just think it's funny. Today, we have the whole Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. We have coffee and chocolate and all these things. We still don't pray. The Lord's like, I even gave you air conditioning. They didn't have air conditioning back then. They didn't have coffee. They didn't have chocolate. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They prayed. Verse 38, it says, coming in that instant. What does that mean? You back up just a little bit. Mary and Joseph, according to the law, were to bring their baby to be, there were certain ceremonial activities related to childbirth that were in the law. So they present their baby to one of the priests to be blessed. That's just what you did back then, kind of like, you fill out all the documentation in the hospital and, you know, when they're born today. Back then, you take your new baby to the temple and priest comes out and does a little, hey, Yahweh, we love this child, or whatever they did. Probably a little better than that. But Simeon comes out, prophesies. Then Anna is like, wait a second, something's happening. I got to go over. Who's this? There's a baby here. That I, something's going on. I, I feel it in my spirit. She comes over. Oh my goodness! She is seeing with her eyes the answer to her sixty, seventy, eighty years of prayer. There he is, a week old. She's been praying for this Christ, for this Messiah to save Israel as prophesied in the Old Testament, you know, from Moses all the way to Malachi. And now she is seeing. And how much in her mind just clicked in that instant? It all makes sense. It all made sense. It took a while. It took 60, 70, 80 years, but now she's looking She knows in her heart of hearts, this is the Lord. This is God in the flesh, prophesied through Israel's prophets. This is the Christ Messiah. 
Not what I expected. I didn't expect him to be a week old and crying. But this is heavy. This strikes her. Now, here's a detail that we cannot overlook. It says, coming in that instant, she what? What did she do? She gave thanks to the Lord. Oh my goodness, let's not miss this. And I'm going to try to close this in the next five or ten minutes. We'll bring it to a close. After all the trauma she went through in her early 20s, and after six, seven, eight decades of prayer, and all the human emotions that are associated with that, the loneliness, the feelings of, oh, I ruined my life. I just stayed in a room, and maybe I ran away, and I, I ah. All of that that she had to work through year after year to stay in that place of devotion, all of that she, you know, she could have had so much pain. She could have been so bitter. But in that moment, we see who Anna had become in all of those decades. She just basically was like, I'm grateful. (laughs) Thank you, God. I lost my husband. I lost my life. I've been praying for six decades. I barely know who I am. Thank you. You know, you meet some people who've been in ministry for six, seven, eight decades, and it's like they feel like, they feel like they're, it's like God owes them more and they have a right to be bitter. I've served you my whole life. I had to bury my wife. I, I can't believe you didn't use me. I've, I've run into so many people in ministry that are so angry and they're so bitter at God because they thought you know, serving Him meant they were going to be the most famous person in the world and God wanted them just to minister to a few their whole life. Like, that's normal. Anna, we see no hint of that. We just see eight decades into her life, she is just, thank you. I had almost no clue what was going on. I lost my precious husband. I prayed my whole life. And now I didn't even expect it, but there's a little baby and you're the Messiah. Thank you, God. Now here's, I want to just say this. I'm going to just kind of, I want to help save you from some grief. Here's how life's going to go. It's going to be harder than you think. (laughs) You're going to lose people you love. It's going to be more intense than you thought. You're going to have to pray more than you're imagining right now. So much is going to be hard. And here's the thing. The, the, the things that you're most deeply believing for, it's going to look different. And almost nothing you believed in your teens, 20s, and 30s is really actually going to happen. But if you do it right, it doesn't matter. You just The journey has produced in you this character of like, no matter what, I'm just going to be thankful and I'm going to worship God. I think of Job. We just talked about Job last week. You gave me all this wealth and you took it away. I bless the name of the Lord. We've received good from God. Shall we not receive adversity? There's just something about Anna that just moves me. Guys, gals, (laughs) guys and gals, let's do ministry in such a way that what comes out of our mouth is thank you. 
It's been hard. It was different than I thought. But really, thank you. Because I deserve so much less. Really, what we all ultimately deserve in the most, in the most real sense is we all deserve hell. But in God's mercy, He spared us from that eternal hell. He gave us eternal life because we've put our faith in Christ. And anything beyond that is just like sprinkles on the dessert. I am amazed at what comes out of Anna in this moment. I had to go through so much, God. You know, no, none of that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Here's the thing, when we're grateful, God uses us. When we're entitled, we, we go nowhere near God using us. That is one of the great battles of our life. Are we going to be grateful? Are we going to be thankful? Or are we going to be on the other hand? Are we going to be entitled and always feel like God kind of snubbed us? We've made all these sacrifices and I'm not where I was thinking I should have been. And God's like, I got such a better plan. Oh, I tell you what, God didn't snub you. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you're going to be in fellowship with God for eternity. If we get the worst deal the rest of our life, that, I'm telling you, that really is it. To have your name written in that book and to be a child of God and to have that assurance that I'm going to live forever in heaven with the Lord Jesus, this same Messiah that Anna's looking at, Nothing can compare to that. So if I'm not wealthy, famous, this or that, if I'm just nobody and pain and all these things that go wrong, it doesn't... Paul says it's not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us in that place. Anyways, that's not the end of the story. She's thankful Thank you, Lord. And then it says she spoke of him to all. To all of those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. All of a sudden, her ministry shifts and now she's the best preacher in town. She is the first evangelist, the first itinerant preacher. She prays for 60, 70, 80 years And now she is the first one to know this is the Messiah. Aside from Simeon, they were both there together. She begins to go out of, I mean, maybe within the temple and beyond it, and she begins to preach to people this long prophesied Messiah. He's here and he's growing. She begins to prepare people even before or maybe in slightly overlapping with the ministry of John the Baptist. So here's the thing. If you you think it's just prayer, I mean, maybe Anna was like, you know what, I don't don't even want ministry. Here's the thing. If you really do just give yourself to that place of prayer, You can't help but run into God. And all of a sudden, you have things to say to help people. I never set out to start a ministry. 
was the last thing on my mind. All I really tried to do was be faithful in my devotional life. And as I, as I held the line there, and as I have for 20 years, it's like God just says, okay, now do this, and now do that, and now do this, and it's just slowly influencing a bit more people. And the Lord just says, never let go of that prayer thing, and just anything I, any open door that I say you are to walk through, you just do that faithfully. That's the story of Anna. Now let me make this personal, really quick. This could so be, this could so, let me say this a little better. This, this isn't going to be how everybody goes through life. But the Holy Spirit is speaking Some people are going to be given full time to prayer like Anna. Some will do it part time. Some will do it like a little bit here and there. But most certainly, we are all to glean from Anna's life. This this principle, this heart for prayer. I believe that Jesus is reestablishing prayer in His church. We're seeing a lot of prayer rooms built up. We're seeing an emphasis on prayer. And this grace that was on Anna's life, God is putting it on a generation. Some are going to do it full-time like Anna. Others are going to have a full-time job and they're going to do this on maybe on Saturday nights. Whatever level you're called to, that's between you and God. Some are going to do one prayer meeting a month and that's what they can do. Whatever level we're supposed to embrace, God says it's so worth it. Because you'll, you'll get to know the Lord and eventually you'll be able to help other people. And so I believe what the Lord wants us to glean from this is we want to know the story, but also God's putting this grace on literally millions, tens of millions of believers worldwide. And in our city, He's going to put this on the church. He's going to put this on the church worldwide is what I'm trying to say. And so when you feel like... Um, this, this urge, or you feel like this grace to get into prayer, obey that. You know, it starts as a little quiet time, then it, it might look like, okay, after work, I'm going to go to the prayer room for a little while, or, or I'm going to go to my church prayer meeting. But you get into this flow, your life will never be the same. You, you will grow in your relationship with God. Again, don't, don't look at what Anna does and go, well, I, I can't do that. I can't you know, go to the temple you know, or I can't go to the house of prayer and you know, just stay there all my life. Very few people will do that. But the vast majority of Christians, the Holy Spirit saying, see, see what Anna chose? Choose that as you can. But put that on your calendar. Walk that out. Well, and right there, amen and amens. Right now, Lord, I ask you, I've just shared for a moment of time, I pray that you would make it real to hearts, whether through Facebook or through the recording, make this real to our hearts in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray for those who feel this 
heightened calling, maybe to pray full-time or part-time or once a week, make it clear to them, in the name of Jesus, amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.